If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Thursday night, buddy. How you doing? How you doing? Buddy, I got a Santa Claus glass. I've got eggnog and I've got some Irish whiskey in that eggnog. I'm watching some football. Things are good. How about you? That's about as perfect of a December evening uh, situation that I can imagine. So I'm right with you. I've got a little... Uh, Little porter here, Ooh. little uh, little snowdrift vanilla porter. So, uh, that's a great winter beer, man. Yes, sir. Great winter beer to have there. Uh, was that a wine kugel? Yep. Aha! Oh, yeah. I only saw a portion of the bottle, folks. <laughs> know your beer one hundred and one. Know your beer, man. How's your week been, bud? Man, it's been one of those uh, weird weeks where it's either really slow. And then, like, for, like, three hours, I get, like, a lot of stuff that crosses my desk and have to, to, to bang some stuff out. So, been one of those. How about you, man? Uh, pretty steady, other than several technical issues at work, which <laughs> this time of year is never any fun to be sitting there trying to make something process. And it's like, air, and you're like, dear God. Go oh. through. Do it. And then you having to tell someone, yeah, I told you I was having this back by 11, might be closer to 12. Oh, everything okay? I just won't process. Sorry. We're waiting. <laughs> Nothing I'm doing here. You know, and it's like we're going to have a beautiful mid-fall weekend in late, in mid-December this weekend, like 65 degrees. So Yeah, I'm like, I'm not sure if I'm ready for that again, like. I'm I'm one of those people that once I get in a certain mindset, I kind of like to plow yeah. ahead. So these like fake fake falls, and then like in the spring where you get like that, like late February, you get that one really warm day yeah. out of nowhere. But then it you know you get two more weeks of you know 20 oh. degrees. Like no, I like that other stuff. Yeah, I I, I don't really like. Uh, I don't really like it, but you know it is what it is. Uh, I don't suck, suck it up and deal. I don't either. A, it can screw up my my sinuses, which I hate, and B, it's just like my body says it's winter. Yeah, my body. 
It's winter. It needs to be winter. There needs to be snow. It needs to be cold. This it's whole, like you, you've thrown me a day in the 60s. I've already burned all my hoodies. I can't go back. <laughs> <laughs> I burned the hoodies. I put the shorts away, which I have put the shorts away, except I found a pair the other night in my bathroom underneath some things. So maybe, you know, karma. Like, yeah. You know, one of those be, things, you're going to need this. One you're more gonna need, you know, I'm that weirdo that still wears shorts like all winter, though. I know you do. I, I can do it to a certain degree, but I mean, it gets to a point where I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm as good. long as I know I'm not going to be out more than like five minutes. Like, yeah. if I'm just getting into my car, driving around, out of my car, into a building, like, you can do it. That's not cold enough for me to sacrifice comfort. Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Well, folks, obviously, it is hate week. Here on the Boundary Corner podcast, as the Hokies this week will be battling UVA for the, I don't know what is going to be the number, a big number for the Commonwealth Cup. Yep. Trying to take it back after losing for the first time since 2003. Eight week part two. Hey, we, had a, we had a teaser earlier and now we're, you know, that got, that got pushed back. So now we're, we're officially in hate week. It is happening, ladies and gentlemen. The game will be played. Uh, the the governor's announcement earlier did not change that, despite some whisperings in dark corners of the interwebs. Uh, we are plowing ahead with this game. Um, yeah, so I mean that that's where we're at in hate week. Uh, just to recap a little bit, guys, we saw a big stinker from uh, from Mike Young and the gang against Penn State. Um. um that was brutal to a point I, I was going to follow it on my phone. I kept the TV on the main cave to peek in every few minutes as I was watching something with my wife and we were doing something and I, I kind of lost track of the game. It started. Yeah. And when I looked down, it was 17 to three and it was just like, that's not oh. good. That's not how you want to start it. Yeah, that it started bad, and then it just kept getting gradually worse. And Penn State had one of those nights where, like, the, the Hokies played a bad game. Don't get me wrong. Bad game, had a bad shooting night, wasn't very active on the defensive end. But uh, Penn State had one of those magical shooting nights where, like, everything they threw up was falling. Yeah, everything they threw up was falling. I mean, they were legitimately – 50% from the field. So, you know, just from the field, like they couldn't miss. They went out a little bit further. And, man, I don't know if you saw this, but from three-point range, they were 52%. Yep. <laughs> so it was one of those nights like, can't win. Well, they have a bad possession and then get bailed out. Like, you know. When the Hokies were doing the right thing, they were still getting burned. So, Yeah, back to the drawing board to sort of figure it out because, again, you, you can't you can't score 55 points and expect to win many games. You can't shoot under 40, under 30 from three, and 50% from the free throw line. I mean, just awful, awful. Um, but I think – you know, after two stinkers like that, you know, have faith, you know, in Mike Young that he can pull it together. 
You know, the law of averages says the shooting percentage is going to go up a little bit. So it's true, and, and we'll find out a lot Tuesday night. Yeah, um, I agree. We'll find out a lot Tuesday night against Clemson. I mean, Clemson's four and zero. They beat Maryland. Um, they beat Purdue. They beat Mississippi State. Obviously, Purdue and Maryland being usually two of your top twenty-five teams out of the Big Ten. Um, so. We'll find out more. Do they bounce back or do they kind of keep this skit going? Because it's almost – last year it was the loss to Michigan State, then they lost the next few games to Dayton and BYU, who were going to be tournament teams, but it continued the downward spiral. This year the big win happens, the solid second win, the solid win after happens, then they start hitting the skids a little bit. So Yeah, hopefully. and like I said, I think – I mean, encouraging is that – at least against VMI, it was just shooting. And against Penn State, regardless of how they shot, they were probably losing that game yeah. based on how Penn State was playing. So, I mean, there's there's probably only one or two teams in the country that would have beat Penn State when they were shooting like that. So, um, to that point, you know, it's still early. Let's not get discouraged by a loss, especially yeah. after how you started. Yep. Keep plugging ahead. Try to fix what's uh, – What's a little sketchy there? Like I said, I, I care more about the stuff I saw on the defensive end and the, the rotations than I do about anything that happened on the offensive end. Um, they did pretty well on the boards, all things considered. So yeah, um, if they can just hit some shots, which I think will eventually come, they'll be fine on the offensive end. I'd like to see them clean up some of the defensive stuff, though. Absolutely. All right, before we get deep into sort of breaking down um, UVA, and we're not going to do the enemy and break it down because, again, similar to last week, this is our most hated rival, probably the team we see the second most of living here in the Commonwealth. We're going to do strengths and weaknesses um, of both sides of their ball with data and some tape breakdown. But, Brian, I'm going to ask you a question. Give me your honest opinion. If Justin Fuente brings back the Commonwealth Cup or makes the Commonwealth Cup stay in Blacksburg, does he save his job? Absolutely not. That's a firm no. Um, okay. And and I and I say from this perspective, um, we've gotten to a point now where you know th- there there was excuses and there was reason to potentially say this might get better with more time. But I think we're past the point where, regardless of what a win loss record looks like in a given year. Justin Fuente's not going to be the coach that gets us consistently to the ACC championship game, gets us over the hump against Clemson, potentially gets us a future shot in at the college football playoff. He's not that guy. And if we know that, and we know that we're going to have these weird seasons where we win five or six games, and then we're going to have a, a couple seasons where we might win eight or nine, I don't think that's good enough and that that doesn't stand up to the expectations we had for him as a coach. And I think that now we know that yep. we need to move on. Yep. This isn't a situation. Um, someone me and you chatted with this week. I can't remember who it was, was trying to compare this to the Harbaugh situation. And I sat here and we were in that conversation. I said, if Justin Fuente was 21 and 11, over his last two, three seasons, hell no, we wouldn't be firing him because he would have been winning somewhere between nine and 10 games before yep. this season started. It would be a completely different story. You can't put that in with Harbaugh because Harbaugh 
had won 10 and nine games. Harbaugh's problem is that he's losing to Ohio State every year, and that pretty much never gives him a chance to play for the Big Ten Championship. True. Um, now, the other piece is this, though, and uh, I've got the record right here. Justin Fuente started the tenure out 19 and eight. I think after 2017, I think me and you felt good. After 18, it was some skepticism. After Duke, skepticism, but you saw the rebound bounce back. But then you've seen it re-snowball. It's almost like the snowball that went into a good avalanche got somewhere where it stopped, but then something happened behind it and shook it loose and it started rolling. He's 18 and 18 in his last three seasons. He's 500. Yeah, that's not good. That, that that's not what we signed up for. That's not what we signed up for at all. Um, again, I think our expectations were somewhere between 8 and 11 every year. And we got that three seasons. But what's happened is, as we've mentioned numerous times, it's where the losses come to, who the losses come to. It's games where you're looking like you're not even putting up a fight. It's games where you're looking like you have no answers. And when that's happening too many times, the no answer games, not so much, you know, somebody pulls an upset, somebody pulls an upset, tip your hat to them. It's the games when there aren't answers where it's like, okay, do something different. We keep doing the same. Why are we doing the same thing? It's not working. And I think that's where we're at. Um, again, I've said it before and I'll stick to this. If not for him, a lot of things that are that were not good within the program don't get reflected. Thank you for that. Um, and hopefully him doing that is able to wit in the athletic department as they start looking who the next head coach will be and saying, we know these are our deficiencies. Here's how we're going to fix them for you. Yeah. And what do you want to do? To put your stamp on this. Yeah, I mean, I think on the whole, he's ultimately leaving the program about at the same level that he found it. Um, I think from a brand perspective, our brand isn't quite as uh, good as it was when he took over. But I think because of shining light on some of the things we need to improve, I think we're taking some steps where we need to ratchet it up. And I think that ultimately, you know, cancels out some of the the brand losses there. So, you know, well, I think a, a, a net zero. So, you know, he didn't completely run the program into the ground. I mean, the big problem right now is because of everything else happening is that donors are getting antsy and donors yeah. want answers. And I think donors are, are getting what they want. So exactly. Um, the other pieces you, you talk about where we were, um, you know, Public image level, perception level yeah. is slightly down, but right now I would take a a slightly down view in perception, knowing that you're going to get what you need operationally. It's not sexy. It's not saying, oh, we're you know we're winning ten, eleven games a year. It's not sexy, and it doesn't all happen overnight either. So it's yeah. it's a it's a slow build up. Fine, but the whole piece is you get that in place, you get back to where you were. You get back to competing for the ACC. You get back to winning 10, 11 games every year. And as nice as the brand is, I think the new coach would appreciate the other stuff more than the brand. Damn right. 
All right, well, let's jump to it, folks. Time for a little breakdown here of the UVA team. Brian, let's start with their defense. Um, when I was just doing the data dump, as I always like to do, I looked first at their strengths. And I'm going to run off three to you here, and you tell me if this is correlating what you're seeing on tape. Yep. All right, first of all, they are basically – top quarter of the country rushing defense-wise. They're only giving up 125.9 yards a game, 3.49 a carry, right against one of our biggest strengths. Um, They're up there in sacks. Number nine in the country, 33 total sacks for the year. And also, they are forcing a ton of turnovers. 17 total Six fumbles, 11 picks, top 15 in that. So kind of seems like they're doing some very good things on defense. So what are you – does the tape show this or is the tape a little more, you know? The tape definitely bears out exactly what those stats are showing. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name three names, and one of them we do not have to deal with. Um, <clears throat> so I'll start with the one we don't have to deal with, Charles Snowden. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, for most of this season, Charles Snowden was giving offenses fits. Yep. Um, you know, six foot seven edge rusher, great speed, great athleticism, hits you with a load too. So, uh, not having to deal with that coming off the edge. Uh, the problem with that is that we do have to deal with Noah Taylor. Um, he was lining up opposite of Snowden. Uh, he's now their primary edge rusher. Uh, Snowden was definitely the dude, but Noah Taylor is no slouch as well. And um, it's still going to have to stop him from getting to the quarterback because he's going to come hard. And uh, Zane Zandier uh, is the inside linebacker for them. Um, big player in the middle of that defense. Uh, kind of an enforcer in the middle. Uh, really good run stopper. So he's the guy that's getting tackles for loss. He's kind of packing the stat sheet in the tackle column as well. So, um, you know, they're going to do a lot of things to kind of slow down our strength, which is our running game, uh, whether it's handing the ball to Khalil Herbert or running one of our quarterbacks up the middle or on the outside. All right. So we talk about that. We talk about they force turnovers, but they have weaknesses. Um, as good as they are at sacking the quarterback, I was shocked by this number. They are absolutely – dreadful against passing. I'm talking quarterback passing efficiency. They're 153 out of 165. They almost average 15 yards per completion. They are the most passing yards allowed in the country. Now, I know they played nine games, and there are some other teams that haven't played as many, but there's enough teams. There's enough teams out there that have played more than eight games it just shows something there. Um, also, 62% completion. So, you know, that's a that's not a good number. You're, you you want to be sub 60 as a defense. Um, also, really big in allowing first downs. Um, you know, they average nearly giving up 20 first downs a game. You know, 86 in the country. So, on the bottom half of that. Now, Brian, a couple other things that they aren't really there aren't weaknesses but they aren't really great at um you know third down conversions 39.8 that's a big bugaboo of the Hokies so right under 40 percent 
And then the other is they're giving up 30 points a game. Okay. So, you know, paired the Hokies defense, we're giving up like 30, I think 32.1. And obviously, I think I think we feel like we've had more issues than they have. So it ain't all sunshine and roses on their defense. No, and I mean the big thing is how weak they are in the back end, man. Um they they don't tackle great on the back end um in the passing game. They they actually do a pretty good job from the safety position filling up in the run, but um they end up missing a lot of tackles with the with guys that are elusive in space. Um uh, UNC game, I mean UNC just ran out of time. <laughs> yeah. If, if they had, you know, one more stop, they were going to win that game. I mean, if they, they just ran out of time. If they stopped the fake punt. Yeah. They win that game. Uh, and, and Thompson did a just a, a great individual effort on that, you know, yeah. getting off topic here a little bit. Just that was designed to go right, and he went left, cutting it back, and got there. So, but, the, the, yeah, they're weak on the back end. Um, like I said, struggles with tackles. A bunch of chunk plays, uh, crossers, seams, deep shots on the edge. I mean, there shouldn't be a a, a route in our repertoire that we shouldn't be able to exploit them with in some way. Um, The question is, do we take advantage of that? Um, Yeah, if we can stop – the the big thing is if we can stop them getting to our quarterback or making our quarterback have to throw before he's ready, that's where that secondary gets good because they are opportunistic. So that, they're they're opportunistic, but they are very suspect. So as long as long as we can make good decisions with the ball in the passing game, we should be fine. That's what I was going to kind of ask: is how can you have that many interceptions, that many sacks, but be that bad in a passing game? And it sounds like what it is is when they force essentially the the throw to go early, or force the throw to the wrong spot, or rush the throw. That's when they're getting their picks. Yeah. When the pocket stays clean, people are just carving them, including BC's backup. It went, what, 502 last week? Yeah. So let's, let's <laughs> hope that, you know, we can put up 300 plus. Uh, you know, one of those things I feel like if we don't pull up over 270, uh, but uh, we, we shall move on. Anything else on the defensive side you want to hit, Brian, before we jump over to the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, like, how we would attack it, I mean, from a passing game perspective, I think we should kind of pass to set up the run. Um, I think we need to not just work in the short and intermediate stuff that I've been pounding on a, a lot lately, but also we need to take some shots. We need okay. to stretch them. We need to make them work for it. But we need to be strategic with our shots. We don't want to put the quarterback back there for, you know, four or five seconds waiting for routes to develop before he can get rid of it with, uh, you know, Noah Taylor and Zan, uh, Zane Zandir bearing down on him. So that's what I would I would do to kind of start things up. And then once they loosen up a little bit and have to start pulling some of those uh, those safeties out of the box, um, that's when we can start with the running game and pounding them a little bit and kind of eating them up between the tackles. Now, when you talk about not getting four or five seconds, is this something where you're thinking about the alignments where, you know, the goal is going to be, Field side, we're going to put three guys, and we're going to leave one guy down here. Your high safety has to make a decision because if he chooses to come over here and going to help, you're allowing three routes to develop on this side, where most of the time in those cases, you tell me if I'm right or wrong, 
We're going to put our best corner on this side. Free safety. You're going to go to the other hash. Don't worry about that side. He's got the out of bounds as his extra defender. Yeah. I think you want to try to isolate, you know, if you've got man coverage, you read man coverage, kind of isolate where that, um, where that safety is going to be shading to and kind of attack opposite that. Um, that way you can throw the ball earlier in the route and just, you know, it could be a 50 50 type situation versus having to wait for a guy to come open. Um, on top of that, I'd like to see some of the RPO stuff just because that's going to slow down that pass rush a little bit. Um, if you can work some of those in there, um, should be able to take some shots up the seams, maybe throw a fade out of that. All right. Well, let's, let's hope somebody burn the Excel spreadsheet then this week. <laughs> <coughs> All right. Let's say, did you burn the Excel spreadsheet? To, you yeah. know, it's getting burnt at the end of the week anyway. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, let's move on. Let's look at their offense. Again, I went through looking through the data, looking for items of strength, items of weakness. Um, believe it or not, kind of shocked me. Their passing offense is actually really a strength of theirs. You know, averaging 260 a game, about 12 yards per completions. That's kind of impressive losing Armstrong for the games that they did. Um, you know, the only slight hiccup is they are only averaging about 58% uh, percent completion. Um, I'm, I have a feeling you might be able to tell me why on that in a few minutes here. The one thing that shocked me even more is protecting the quarterback. They're giving up less than two sacks of games and only about four tackles for loss. So, again, I'm still trying to figure out how with that mash unit that they're doing it. I hope you can shed some light on that. Um, they consistently win time of possession all year, usually averaging about 31 minutes a game. and um, Running the ball, I consider more average, only about 174 yards, so not, you know, not terrible, but not dominating. They're very much middle of the pack. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that kind of checks out as well with what I'm seeing. I mean, you know, we talked about the couple games Armstrong missed, but when he's been in there, he's really, he's made that offense more consistent. So whereas... You know, last year with Perkins, they could just kill you at any any given moment. Yeah. With the ability to either throw it deep or Perkins to to beat you with his legs. This is really more of a kind of a, a of a balanced approach with with Armstrong having a lot more poise in the pocket and a lot more poise behind the line of scrimmage and making good choices there than I really thought I would see. Um he had some early problems in the season with some interceptions, um, but he's really cleaned that up. And, you know, he's really good at feeling when to step up in the pocket, when to break the pocket, when to look down the field to make the play once he's broken the pocket and when to just take off and, and try to get a first down. And, you know, I'll, I'll say this, you know, he's not elite like Perkins in terms of athleticism. He's probably more similar to a Sam Howell in terms of his athleticism, but he's definitely more run first than Sam Howell. He's a guy that's going to, if he sees it there, he's going to take it and he's going to run. So we got to watch him in both elements there, a a true dual threat at the quarterback position. So that's where their offense runs through. Um, They've got a good kind of collection of, uh, 
of running backs as well. The main one is uh, Talapapa. He doesn't jump off the tape when you see him. There's nothing elite about him, but he's a solid 1A guy for them. He, he kind of does a little bit of everything. He's a good blocker. Um, he kind of works through the garbage a lot between the tackles, even though he's a little undersized. And then they've got Simpson, who does a really good job of catching balls out of the backfield. I saw him take one against uh, against UNC. Um, he broke a really big one. I think it was like a 70 or 80 yard touchdown off just like a quick swing uh, pass out of the backfield. So he can hurt you in the receiving game. They, they throw a lot of screens to him, stuff out, you know, check downs and things like that. So he's got to watch in that type of thing. And uh, he'll also carry the ball some. He actually likes to, to thump a little bit more than Talapapa. So um, kind of an athletic guy that'll bring a little bit of lumber at the end of a run. Very nice, Brian. Um, what about their offensive line? Again, I look at the sack numbers. I don't see a lot about that. You know, is it is it? You mentioned you know the dual threat capabilities of uh, Armstrong, but to still have that low a number, I mean, are they? Is it just a perfect combination in what they're doing, or is it? Are they borderline? You know a really, really good offensive line. I'd say they're above average offensive line. They're not a really good offensive line, but they are, they are a good offensive line. They're probably, I don't know, maybe three or four in terms of the best lines we've seen this year. So they're not like Clemson. They're not, you know, they're not elite level, but they get the job done, but pairing it, what they do with what Armstrong's capabilities are, they, they look a little bit better than they are. And, you know, they got lucky a little bit. Armstrong has done a a good job of oftentimes getting rid of the football when he needs to. Um, he has kind of that little bit of Russell Wilson type thing where he can get in trouble and then get himself out of trouble and then get rid of the ball. Okay. And, and sometimes that goes for completion and sometimes it just goes for, you know, getting thrown out of bounds and, and moving on to the next play. So, um, he's definitely helped them in that regard. Whereas, kind of Perkins, once 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 you were there, he was going down. Um, he has a little bit more um, of uh, ability to break tackles in the backfield and then still be able to get rid of the ball to to, to save a sack. Well, let me ask this, Brian, because I know you're going to have ways to attack this def or this offense, excuse me, in a second here, but. Me and you mentioned earlier, me and you talked earlier this week, and you just kind of been, and we kind of talked about it. There's been one good running quarterback that really burned us this year. That was Malik Willis at Liberty. Yep. Other guys have got some yards, but not absolutely killed us. I know Trevor Lawrence broke the 17-yarder for the touchdown last week, and he had a couple other good runs. We held the Eric King. Sam Howell didn't have much going on his day. No. We've played enough to where it's like, if anything comes out of this year, good. The fundamental change up front where running like quarterbacks, not necessarily dual threat, but guys who have a little wiggle aren't killing us. And I always go back. Remember that night day we went to Big Al's against Maryland? Yep. And that son of a, that kid could not have been faster than me. But he kept breaking the pocket, getting like 12 to 15 yard gains on the left side. And me and you were just sitting there furious. Like, stop him. What are you doing? What are you doing? Yeah. 
So, so Brian, what are how can we attack this offense and really, you know, exploit the weaknesses I'm going to mention in a second here? Yeah. So the big thing is getting them off the field on third down. Um, you know, they've got a couple guys that are really good at kind of moving the sticks when they get in like a second and long, third and long situation. Um, Jana being the uh, probably the biggest returning receiver from that we talked about from last year. Um, he's a stick mover, but he also has the ability to stretch the field vertically. Um, then they've got Kemp. He's more of that slot receiver underneath uh, the coverage threat, um, you know, working some quick outs. Some, uh, you know, drag, some shallow crossers, things like that, that just kind of, they're the thorn in your side all game. Um, the newcomer, uh, Lavelle Davis Jr., he tall. Oh, Mr. 6'7", right? <laughs> he tall. Um, yeah, so obvious red zone threat here. Um, obviously a guy that could pick on smaller corners if we, you know, don't don't give them some help. Um and then you've got a guy like Poljan that uh, really big red zone threat for them at tight end. So they've got a, qu- a quadrant of weapons there that they can take advantage of in those third down situations, in those red zone situations. So the key is, is to get off the field in those situations and don't let them keep the ball on the field. Like you said, time of possession is, is good for them. It's because they're able to, to get some of those stick movers, um, in the, in the passing game. And when things break down, Armstrong can take off and still get it with his legs too. So if we can be good on third down on defense, I think we like our, we like our chances here. All right. Well, Brian, I'm going to just go right into it. You talk about the third down. It is one of their biggest weaknesses. They are 96 in the country at converting third downs at 36.4. So clearly probably the games they've won, they've probably been really good at it. The games they've lost, they've probably been really bad at it. And probably what you've been looking at more recently is probably the last four games where they won. Yeah. Obviously if they're converting them, it kind of says something that they're doing it better, but overall they're not doing it great. Now I'll say this, and you mentioned it with Armstrong, you talked about his interceptions earlier in the year, but they're still, turning the ball over at a pace of setting them at 115th in the country, 17 total turnovers, 12 picks, five fumbles. So although you've talked about him cleaning it up lately, it still is that possibility there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now the other one, and I think this is going to be the key to winning Saturday night. They're not great at converting their red zone into touchdowns. 39 attempts, only 24 touchdowns. We must bend, not break. Yeah. We must. They're just similar to the Clemson game. It's going to sound really weird, but first drive, we held them to a field goal, right? Later on, they get deep. We force a turnover. Now, we give it right back, but that's essentially saying right there, well, that's 11 points. If you tell me that we do that and we hold them down 11 points, I think we win this game by a couple of scores. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, the, the key is going to be how, how well we do on third down and how well we do in the red zone. Um, you know, they've shown a propensity to, you know, be bad in some of those situations. Lately, they've looked a lot better. Um, lately, they look more like a team that um, 
converts on those. And I mean, we we've seen it of the last, this little run they've been on. Um, yeah, they've been winning more than they've been losing. And some of that goes back to them, them just cleaning up some of those things that were really bad for them at the start of the season. And, and, you know, it's, it's really, we're, we're kind of in a mirror image right now. Like this UVA team is probably playing the best football they played all season coming into this game. And we're probably playing some of the worst football we've played all season coming into this game. So something's got to give, um, I think from a talent perspective, we probably have the more talented team, but that doesn't, you know, paper doesn't win the game. No, it doesn't. Let me ask this too. And, and, and as, as weird as this sounds, but do you think that when, because of the NC State game when Armstrong got hurt and then he was out the next two? Yep. Or he was out the Wake Forest game at least, and then he was sort of limited with Miami. Do you think that helped them more than hurt them? Where they essentially, he got hurt, they were able to take him out, do some things different. And instead of having games where he was in there, let's say he let's say he doesn't get hurt, they play Wake, they lose to Wake with him, where the failures just keep piling on top of each other over and over, where the coaching staff can say, hey, listen, you're healthy now, clean slate. We're going to do some different things while you are out. We, we found some, some niches for Keontae Thompson. So, you know, do you think that helped them more than hurt them? I think so. I think it, it, it provided them the ability to give defensive fronts different looks with their offense and especially working in Thompson a lot as kind of like a wing, extra quarterback. Like he kind of does a little bit of everything in there. They use him like primarily from the wing, um, sending him in motion on like jet sweeps doing some counters with him. Like there's, there's a lot that they do with him in the running game that gives them gives defenses different looks than they would get, you know, from a typical offense that, that, uh, typical team that runs the the type of offense that UVA runs. So yeah, I think those extra wrinkles have given Armstrong a little more flexibility in how he, he plays the game and that offense as a whole, um, a little bit more room to work because there's an extra threat out there. All right. Well, normally we do pivotal players, folks, but we're not going to do tonight. You've seen our team. You know who needs to play well. You know what needs to happen. And if you haven't, go back and look at all the games over the next 48 hours. Yeah. You'll figure it out pretty quick. Well, Condensed tapes out there, guys. Just take a look yeah. at it, see, see what you can find, um, pull some of the good stuff out there. But, you know, we know who needs to play well. We know at this point that, you know, if we're not getting off the field on third down on defense or if we're not converting third downs on offense, those those are the two big things that have really determined how good or bad this team has been this year. And if we're not doing those things well, then we're probably not going to win this game. If we can do them, you know, somewhat proficiently, we, sh- we should be able to make this happen. So we'll we'll see how it goes. But how are you feeling heading into this one, man? I really, I'm, I'm at a point where I don't really, I don't know. know know what to throw out there for this one. I don't know. I don't know what to throw out there for this one. I mean, I'm going to make a prediction here in a couple minutes because what I've seen from this team, it's the inconsistencies. We have not put four good quarters together since NC State back in September. Yep. 
there's been at times second half of Boston College. If that team on both sides of the ball shows up every week since then, the only game we would have lost would have been Clemson. Hindsight, <laughs> hindsight, some of the quarters against Pitt. If that team had showed up every game since Boston College, we wouldn't have won any games. We wouldn't have gone any games before that. So we are a Jekyll and Hyde team. Yeah. And that's what's scary. The upside is they're a Jekyll and Hyde team. And their good side has been showing out the last four weeks where our worst side has been showing out four weeks. Um, you, you, you hope that what we, our opinion is we've got a lame duck coach. You hope that he wants to go out in a blaze of glory. He does things different. He takes some crazy risks in an attempt to win this game. And, you know, I'm, I'm with you. We see have significantly more talent than them. I mean, it, it probably at every single position, we're more talented than them. I'd and, say linebacker is the only position that I'd say they might have us beat in. But without Snowden, it's probably closer to even than it would be normally. And they're running a 3-4, so you're putting their outside linebackers in with in their outside linebackers. Sure. So it's a little, to me, it's a little different. Um so let, let's just get to it. What's your prediction for Saturday night? Oh, man. Because uh, it is at night, you know, when nothing matters with it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a night game. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird that we've been getting this, this like, prime spot as we're playing the worst football we've, we've seen all year. Um, that's been a little frustrating because we have to, you know, keep watching it over and over and over again happen. And as does everybody else. So that means we get to hear about it a lot too. You know, you get a primetime slot, you hear about uh, how you did a whole lot more. So here we are. Give me 31, 27, Virginia tech. All right. 31, 27, Virginia tech. All right. I am I'm with you. After a few weeks of picking against us, there's just a part of me that couldn't in this case. I think we come out, I think we come out fired up. I think we come out and run some trick plays. I think in the end they're going to revert back to some of their hide at portions of this game. Okay. I think they're going to revert back to their hide a few portions of this game, which don't get me wrong. Our hides are going to show too. Um, but I think for them, since it hasn't really shown in close to five weeks, I think that's what's going to be the toughest thing to overcome for them. Give me 38-31 Virginia Tech. The cup stays in Blacksburg. And, uh, I think I think our guys are playing for something. I mean, whether it's for yeah. Coach Fuente or for Pride or just to get the damn cup back, you know, I think I think our guys are gonna show up and be as focused as they've been on any game probably since game one against NC State. Or last week. They they were focused last week, at least for a half. Well two and a half. 
I mean, to me, that was two and a half of the better quarters of football we played on both sides of the ball. It's and, true, uh, man. Um, if we could put, if we could put another quarter together with that, you know, if we're only if we're only having a half a quarter where we're playing like we don't know what we're doing, we probably win this football game. Um, if we only have a half a quarter where we don't know what we're doing, we win by more than seven and four points. I think we would probably say ten to eleven, maybe two touchdowns. Yep. But we have to say there's going to be some really bad quarters. In there. All right. Well, let's roll on, Brian, to our picks for the week, folks. Going to pick some ACC games, a couple out of conference games as well. Um, first one, Brian, since you led off with the, the Commonwealth Cup game, I'm going to lead off with this one. Wake Forest, Louisville. Louisville is laying one and a half points. I am trying to figure this one out. I'm trying to figure if there's players hurt on Wake. Clearly, Ratwell's out. JVN's out. If someone can explain to me why Louisville is laying points, because I think Wake Forest wins this game outright. Uh, yeah, give me Wake Forest legal limit. Legal uh, limit. Wait, what are you seeing? Like, Wake Forest has, like, uh, essentially quite a bit – to play for if you think about it. I mean, I mean, they've had one of their better seasons, you know, beat some good teams. So I, I, I well, they're, they're starting to stack some decent seasons together under Clawson there, man. So, yeah. Yeah. And they're going to be happy with who they are. And I think Clawson will be there for another five years if they keep at this pace. All right, Brian, this is kind of the, um, the toilet bowl of the ACC. Duke and Florida State, Florida State lane four and a half. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> toilet bowl. That's the well, issue. Welcome to the toilet bowl, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'll take FSU. All right. You're going to lay points with a team that basically hasn't been playing for the last month because of COVID. Exactly. That that's that's how bad this situation is at this point, man. Um, I just, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I feel like Duke has really been rudderless lately. So, I think FSU, after kind of having their wad built up for <laughs> the last several weeks, they finally get to to hit somebody again. So, I think we'll see some some action there. That's true, but to me, it, it feels like they laid down. In the last three games they played, they lost by 32, 24, and 16. Not exactly a ringing endorsement. The biggest loss was to Louisville, who's 3-7. and seven. So I'm going to flip and say take Duke. After getting waxed by Miami last week, I think they show some pride, come out. I don't know if they win the game, but... As bad as both of these teams are, I'll take the dog. I'll take points. Okay. I'm good with that. All right, Brian. I'm not going to do it, but. Hey, you do. I do me. All right. Let's let's go to the Big Ten for a, you know, essentially a battle of the heartland with Wisconsin, Iowa. So, dairy versus corn here. Iowa laying a slim one and a half points. What do you got, Brian? Yeah. 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 After after what I saw from Wisconsin, I'm gonna actually take Iowa here. Okay. 
after what I saw last week with Wisconsin. I mean, you know, all credit to uh, to IU there, but I think Wisconsin had a chance to show something and they just completely crapped the bed. And I think we'll they're not quite the team we thought they were going to be this year. So I'll take Iowa. We are who they thought they were. By the way, the over under for this game, you want you want to guess it real quick? Uh, is it under fifty? It is under fifty. <laughs> let me get let, let me go forty four. Forty two. Ah, okay. Well, it's also Iowa in December. I'm sure it's probably gonna be about fifteen degrees with a it's nice cold. It's, it's, it's very cold out there. Um I'm gonna go opposite of you again. I think Wisconsin's got something to prove. They've had a couple bad games in a season where many thought that they would be the team coming out of the West. I think they're going to go try to prove something at Kinnick stadium. And um, since this is basically a coin flip pick them game anyway, I'll pick them to win this game over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Okay. All right. Next, Brian, let's go to the SEC East and essentially a battle for second place, believe it or not. As Missouri takes on Georgia, Georgia laying 13 and a half points. Um, I've been back and forth on this one. You know, obviously we got a connection there with uh, Damon Hazleton. Um, he had a big game last week. Did have a very big game last week, which, um, you know, that took him a while to get there to do it. But, you know, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you look last week at his stat line and he goes out there, five catches, 98 yards. So, We'll see. We'll see if he can keep that up against Georgia. Um, I just can't see Missouri staying with Georgia. Um, you know, Missouri beat Arkansas by two points, blew out Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt doesn't count. But the couple of elite teams they played this year, that would be Florida and Alabama. They got waxed by 24-19 poetically. They also lost by 23 to Tennessee. I I just I feel like Georgia maybe feel like they're playing for something still. Maybe the SEC will do something wild and say they play Texas A&M in an effort to sneak in Texas A&M, you know, into the playoff if Bama beats Florida. So give me Uga. Okay. I'm right there with you, man. I, I like what Mizzou has done of late, but at the same time, as you've noted, when they've had to go up against the big dogs in their conference, they've kind of not looked that great. Even even a, a an up and down dog like Tennessee, you know, that, that that wasn't a great performance. So I just I don't trust them in big games, and this is a big game for them. So I'm gonna take Ugo. Yep. All right. All right, let's go to the biggest game in the ACC battle of top 20 teams. Number 10, Miami, 17, UNC. Miami laying three and a half. Um, Miami, it's their potential to probably get a New Year's Six Bowl if they pull this win out. So who you got, Brian? Oh, man. Both of these teams, despite how good their records are, have played games where you're like, Huh? What what are you doing? And then they pull out the win, so it doesn't matter. And then obviously there's been a a couple losses there for UNC that you kind of shake your head at. Um, but in terms of consistency, 
I like Miami a little bit better when, even when they play down to their competition, they generally still keep them at arm's length. Yeah. This is a big matchup for them. You know, they, they showed up and played pretty well against us. They showed up and played, you know, decent a couple other games, uh, this year. Really Clemson's the only one that kind of, kind of bit them pretty good. So I'll take Miami in the three and a half. Yeah, the Clemson game bit them pretty good, but I mean, they were within 11 points at halftime. Yeah. The most people against Clemson, you, you lose it in the second half. Um, North Carolina, to me, it's just been, they lose when they're not supposed to lose. You know, they they lost against UVA. They shouldn't have lost against UVA. They lost against Florida State. They shouldn't have lost against Florida State. And, again, I really am going to put it on there that for Miami, they blew the doors off Duke last week. Miami essentially got disrespected in saying, hey, when Clemson wins and when Notre Dame wins this week, they're in. We're not making anybody else play any more games. There's not. Even though they could have stood up and said, well, listen, we only have one loss to a top five team. Yes, it's by multiple, you know, touchdowns. Yeah. We should still get a chance. I've got to say, I, I'm on Miami with this. Okay. I'm so you're right there with me. That's I'm cool. right there with you. I'm on Miami. Um, this, you know, it's close enough to a pick em where, it, you know, it, I, I trust Miami's consistency. Shocking to say more than I trust UNC to play consistently. So it's true. But the other piece is this UNC's defense is like Swiss cheese, where the Miami defense several times has essentially locked people down. You see in this game like me, like 41-31, where it's a really good game, but UNC's defense just can't stop them. Miami gets that one or two stops in the end. Awesome. All right, folks. Last game, and to me, the biggest game of the week in rankings don't matter. It's the Army-Navy game. Um, First time in – oh, my God. Oh, shoot, I lost it. First time in how many years it's going to be on campus? Because it's going to be in West Point. And I lost it. I had, I'm very sorry. I had this up. Um, Effortine. Because <laughs> so many years it's either where it's like Philly, it'll be at the Meadowlands sometimes. Sometimes it'll be down at the Raven Stadium, which is really awesome. So let me yeah, – sorry, guys. This was terrible because I had it and then I lost it. It's a long time. By the way, 1983, they played in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Dude, that would have been a great game to see. Oh, unbelievable, yeah. So I'm going here. Hold on. Just give me a second. I'm getting back into the 1930s, and I'm wondering if it's like 1931. Either way, it has been a long time since it's been played on a campus. It's going to be played at West Point, which is really cool. Um, And for me, Brian, Navy started looking bad at the beginning of the year. They have really not righted the ship, even with a couple wins. I've got to go Army, even though it's a triple option game. And Army literally not scoring one possession versus 
Navy not scoring two possessions could push this game. But I just I can't see that. I've got to go Army. I'm with you, man. Um, I think Army has just been more consistent this year. Um, Navy started the season just ugh, ugh, ugh. and Army's been kind of steady, Eddie. So I'm, I'm going to take Army. I think they're going to pull it out. Um, as much as we hate the triple option, especially when a team named the Yellow Jackets run it, yeah. I love seeing it in games like this where it's like, you know, almost heads up. So let's let let's let the triple option shine, the flex bone shine. Uh, when it's running the way it should, it is a thing of beauty, as annoying as it can be for a defense. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. When they're, when they're humming and when a couple years ago, I can't remember what year it was where it's like neither one could, not either one could stop each other, but like it was that perfect paced game where it was just like back, forth, back, forth, back, forth. And it goes really fast. And it's just like thing of beauty. I almost say this too. If Jeff Monken and army wins, Vanderbilt, and I know no one who's a Vanderbilt fan probably listening to us, but somebody who is, first of all, give them a pat on the back because life of that fandom in football has got to be just absolutely brutal. <laughs> it's like Duke fans, but worse. Exactly. Go hire Jeff Munkin. You will be a competitive football team for five to ten years with him running the triple option. You will win somewhere between five, seven, and, and your best years, eight games a year. Yeah. Do it. Vandy's out there. They've always been, like, going for, you know, not splashy hires, but, like, hires that get them pub. I mean, you know, sure. that's why you see Healy attached to probably a lot of their rumors this, this offseason, man. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting. Uh, did you catch the Jeff Collins, Pat Narduzzi handshake? Uh, no, I did not have that. Oh game. man. Jeff Collins is my new favorite ACC coach. That's <laughs> unless we're playing him. Uh, very brief and jerked his hand away from Narduzzi and like, uh, took off towards the end zone. And Narduzzi's like, uh, uh, uh. I'm like, shut up. Fuck up, Narduzzi. No one gives a shit about you. And then for that, Jeff Collins, right now you are the man. Or you're the man, Collins. Yeah, screw Narduzzi. All right, Brian. Anything in the smoker this weekend? Uh, this weekend, man, I am doing some more smoke queso. We got a little uh, little gathering we're going to Saturday evening, so I'll make some of that. Take that over with some. Uh, I don't know what type of chips I'll get. I might uh, actually. Food Line makes a good. Uh, a, a good tortilla that, uh, that that they make fresh there in house. So I usually will pick up some of those. Oh, nice, nice man, nice. Anything breaking while we've been sitting here the last hour on a Thursday night? Other than laughing at Narduzzi, thinking he deserves a better handshake. Uh, nah, man, we're good. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Yep, I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing it now. <laughs> Narduzzi pointing at him. Well, the question is, what did Narduzzi do during the? What did Narduzzi do during the game? Is the everything, question. dude? You know him. <laughs> oh yeah, we know him. 
know, we've had to deal with him for years here because he's, 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 he's the biggest asshole on the sideline in the ACC. He is. He is a fucking asshole. And a lot of times the shit he's complaining about, it's like, dude, your team is doing this. It's nothing to argue about. Or your team is not getting interfered with. Yeah. It's like he's trying to overplay the um he's trying to overplay the I'm trying to get in their heads for a call later on. Cause it gets to a point where the rest like, I don't care if they do interfere with him, I'm not throwing the flag. He's been in my ear about non-calls. The He's whole pushing day. up. He's pushing up. Shut the hell up. By far, maybe maybe one of the best Fuente games in 2016. Maybe during his tenure. Because he would not quit throwing the fade. I'm going to throw the fade over and over and over. I will throw the fade until you stop it. And they didn't stop it. It was either interference or a catch for Bucky and Isaiah every single time that Thursday night, and Narduzzi lost his regain. With every catch, he got a little bit closer to madness. Oh, it's very um, And then, I mean, last season when he was talking all that shit about not jumping off sides in Beaver Stadium, <laughs> like, well, we didn't jump off that night. We're probably not going to jump off in lane. Well, oh, fuck you. Yep. That's going to happen. That's, that's definitely going to happen. <laughs> all right well folks that is going to wrap up this episode of the boundary corner podcast i'm curtis wilson i'm brian siegler follow us on twitter facebook subscribe for the podcast on your favorite source including spotify amazon and apple podcast as always we let our friend jason long play us out catch him on spotify and apple music we thank you for listening and as always let's go Okies.